What's up, nerds? Welcome to the Beginner Filmmaker Podcast, where we talk about filmmaking and content creation. This podcast is for beginners. My name is Ben. And I'm Sam. And my name is Ken Broadbent. What's up, Ken? How's it going? <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. Now that we're recording, thanks I'm like coming. super nervous. Yeah, it's weird to have your voices just right in my ear. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Like right and left, it's just there. It's pretty Actually, intimate. Dude, this shock mount, <laughs> it's working great. If I did, like, if you guys did that with your mics, you'd totally hear it bounce. I've hit it like ASMR. You know, we should. <laughs> ASMR. An entire, an entire Filmmaker episode. ASMR is just like rubbing the mic. Yeah. So the sensor size on the T3i is really the best as compared to it. <laughs> <laughs> the T3i. It's all about the T3i. Man. You know, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Kent on the podcast today. We're really excited to bring him on. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself really quick and, uh, then we'll move on in our topic. Go ahead, Kent. Okay. Who are you? Uh, well, what, yeah. Um, my name is Kent. Um, I don't know what I, I got involved in filmmaking. I got involved in filmmaking when it's a pretty classic story. As a kid, we had a camera, we would do like stop motion crap with like action figures. It was great. And then I figured out that we, we had like a limited version of Photoshop and so I'd pull in all of the pictures from the stop motion thing and like animate a really bad fake explosion using just Photoshop. <laughs> and um, so we did that with like our Star Wars action figures. And that's what kind of led me into um, liking filmmaking. I, got, I did competitions in junior high and then a lot more in high school. Got involved in VFX in high school and sort of made that my, my thing because no one else did it. And I wanted to feel like I was special or something. <laughs> and <laughs> it was like everyone, everyone else can do everything else. It's like I have nothing better to do, and I had no friends, and I had access to a computer in the in the lab, and so I just sat there and screwed around on After Effects, and then yeah, yeah, it just sort of went went from there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Kent and I met working at a camera store in Provo, <laughs> and like that was that was years ago. I mean, yeah. three or four, four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. <laughs> And I met Kent, ye- Kent yesterday. Yeah, so, it was a, true. It was Sam. a beautiful meeting. I feel like I've known you for a lot longer than that, though. Oh, <laughs> we really connected. Definitely. We, we were weird. shooting a short film on Friday, and Kent was uh, the first AC on it, and we were like... Is that what it was? First <laughs> AC, second AC. All of us kind of had multiple jobs, but like... Um, but yeah, we, we just asked Kent to come on because we were like, dude, talking about Ooh, a cool to topic us? that I'm going to introduce in a second. Yeah. You should come to it. Yeah. So what we're talking about today is this is actually a fan request. And we're, we love fan requests. So we're talking about how to invest in yourself as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of, we need to define what that means in a sense. So I guess like there, there's two directions you can go, right? So like videographer and then filmmaker, you know, it, we've in this podcast and past episodes, we kind of defined that there's a big difference between those two. And um, actually, I, I kind of want to hear your opinion about that. What do you think the difference is between a videographer and a filmmaker? Is there a difference? Without being rude? <laughs> no, you can, be um, rude. you can be rude. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, no, I won't, I won't be rude. I, I, I don't. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Um, I feel like it comes down to who you're trying to emulate. Um, if you find yourself, and I mean, this isn't like a technical definition between the two, but at least it's, it's a way to sort of define yourself of what you want to do. I feel like if you are on Instagram and you see a whole bunch of people traveling and, and posing in pretty places to prove that they've been there and that's what you want to do, then that's being a videographer. Um, it, it's pretty much like being a pseudo-documentary filmmaker. Um, 
And if you find yourself watching feature films and saying, I, I have something to say, I have a story to tell, and that's what I want to do, or you like, um, I mean, I'm not saying that there's no art in videography, but if you like the artistry and the emotion of it a little bit more, as opposed to just sort of displaying events in pretty ways, then, then you want to be a filmmaker. And then your paths are very different and you need different skill sets in order to make it. I like that. Yeah. No, we, cause we kind of mentioned in the past full-time filmmaker a lot on this podcast. And what do you say about them? I want to know I think, what I'm I think to they're say. full-time videographers. Yeah. No, I completely yeah. agree. No. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're um, using autofocus, you are a videographer. Yeah. And that's, if you're always on a, a glide cam, you <laughs> are a videographer unless yeah. you're, I don't know, filming Russian arc or something, but that's, you know, yeah. that's, no, no. And like at our last episode was actually about autofocus and manual focus. Okay. Like, cool. yeah. And so that, I basically define that like if you're using autofocus, you need to stop if you want to be a filmmaker. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, even me, like I shoot on my RS2 for weddings because currently that makes a good paycheck right now. Yeah. Um, but with that, I still use manual. Like I use manual focus with it because it has the front wheel now and it's red. But yeah. That's way cool. Yeah. No, I feel like I my issue with autofocus in general is it is you can't direct people's eyes to different places in your frame. You know, it's, it, that's kind of chosen yeah. for you. And, and, and that's a lot better and more applicable if you're just trying to capture an event than if you're trying to guide people's the way that they view the world that you've created. Mm -hmm. And yeah. also the lenses are more boring. I haven't found an autofocus lens that has a lot of character. They're just kind of yep. they're clinical. They're, they're clean. That's true. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's just fine, but I mean, there's know, some great, just it. beautiful. I mean, Fuji makes some great clean lenses, but, if you're trying to tell a story and you want to choose a sort of, well, a lens, obviously, but like a specific way to display that story, if you want it to have a certain haze to it or a certain roll off to it, you, you can't be limited to what, what fits on my camera and is going to focus. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, so uh, another way that we kind of define videographer versus filmmaker is one man band versus a team of, of individuals that have different talents that all come together to make a story. Yeah, um, I feel like there are exceptions to that, but that's true. You have to be Bob Burnham. <laughs> Bob Burnham. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that that man. Like there are ways, but it's 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 terrible. Shane Carruth. Have you seen any of Shane's stuff? I don't think I've ever he did uh -uh. Primer in two thousand three. I want to say, and then he did Upstream Color in twenty twelve. And I'll probably bring him up later because I like to rant about Shane oh, Carruth. He's do. one of he's one yeah. of my heroes. He's, he's absolutely nuts. Yeah. But oh, if you're talking okay. about how to get into filmmaking, he's one of the reasons why I got into it. Huh. That's cool. <laughs> I uh, I was listening to Team Geekins podcast and they were interviewing a director that Disney hates now, but they were interviewing him Ooh. and I uh, something Ballard, um, but he basically, uh, I mean, uh, every single guest that they bring on, they always ask like, how'd you get started? How'd you get into filmmaking? Like, what made you want to be a director? Like, versus an actor or or whatever, and um, a lot of them mention like cinema like that they would go and watch these movies and be like oh i want to do that mm -hmm. like i want to tell that story and i think that's really interesting like versus like somebody in i don't know this might have been me like uh I, I love narrative work to death but like i started with with making well i started making money with weddings and yeah. that was that was hard to say no to even though i loved doing commercial work or advertising sorry a commercial work or narrative 
and like especially like music videos telling a story through music videos and um but they they all mentioned like oh i was i was in the cinema the other day like uh-huh. they're always british um but <laughs> always <laughs> um carol ballard carol ballard yeah so he directed this movie this was hilarious i was dying he, i mean he was ranting for a long time about like i mean it was a little sad cuz it seemed like he felt like he failed as a filmmaker mm. Because, I mean, he didn't make very many movies. He was a camera operator on Star Wars, like the original. And, and I was like, that's freaking sick. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I don't feel like I mean, I didn't do it. I don't feel job. like I made it, but I was a camera <laughs> operator on I mean, Star like, Wars. I mean, that's episode. cool, but can you imagine if you were a stormtrooper in Star Wars? And you're like, I oh, was that's just, true. You, you can't prove that. That's me. You were 500 other people. You see the dude yeah. that whacked his head into the doors that was going up? That was me, man. <laughs> that was me. Dude. I was oh, hit no. by the e- Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> But he did he did this movie called Never Cry Wolf that Disney produced. And first of all, he went extremely over budget when he produced it. And then, well, he directed it and went extremely over budget. And there was this like whole thing with this this drug lord up in Alaska that they were trying to film a scene with that he was selling caribou antlers to these Russian drug lords or whatever. And so they needed to use the caribou before he did that. And the caribou got lost after trying to do the shoot once, like a whole day. And it didn't go right because they're using like four cameras on set or whatever. And these caribou go missing. And like he comes back to tell the guy, he's like, oh, they're they're freaking gone. He's like, dude. And like they finally find him. And it's like a week after. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we can come up and finish shooting. And the dude's like, I got to sell these. Like I, I got to sell these antlers and stuff. And. Like, well, how much are they paying you? It was like, it was an outrageous amount, like millions. Like, and they were like, well, let me see if Disney can pay that. He like reached out to Disney. Disney's like, heck no, (laughs) you can't do that. And anyway, so now Disney kind of doesn't like him very much. That is the craziest story for a Disney film. Yeah. You go to a drug lord selling caribou antlers. The film is seen. <laughs> this PG film. And I'm like, what the freak? Like, I haven't seen it. I low-key want to watch it just because I'm so interested with that that scene. It did get nominated for an Oscar. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. And so, I mean, they had like trained wolves on set trained like wolves. with the actors and huh. stuff. And then actually, I think there was one point that the trained wolves couldn't make it. And so they had like wild the trained wolves, wolves couldn't make it. Yes. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> you got to listen to the episode. It's just, they're they, just interviewing they Carol wanted to Ballard. Hang out trailer that yeah. day. But that's they're on like, the team I'm not getting paid enough. No, I need to rearrange my contract. I want more on the back end of the film. And hear, hear me out. They were probably sitting there like, guys, this is rough. I can't swear at you on this podcast, can I? I'll bleep it, but <laughs> Okay, back back on course Anyways. here for a second. So investing in yourself, let let's go the the videographer route first. Okay. Okay. So if all you want to do is do corporate work, shoot weddings. Yeah, let's just simplify it down to that. If all you want to do is shoot weddings as a videographer, how do you invest in yourself in that direction? Buy a prosumer camera and a glide cam. And then you just practice a lot. That's all you really got to do. Cool. So now filmmaker. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I agree, but I also feel like... um, this is going to be tainted from my perspective because I don't love weddings, but I actually enjoy them more than I let on because 
my first wedding that I did, like I did my sister's wedding and I had a, like a pretty standard Sony a 6,500 and that everyone was shooting on at the time. And I didn't like it at all because the colors were not what I wanted. And the lens was very generic. Sony was struggling at the Sony time. Sony was struggling, yeah, still at struggling. The time. They still struggle <laughs> yeah. with, with color they're, size. Okay, they're a one though. Like I'm actually, it. it's way too overpriced, but it's actually not bad. Oh. Like for 6K, well, the, the S3. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'd rather get a red Komodo or a C70 or something, but yeah. like, yeah. Well, but the thing is, like, when, when I realized that I actually hated it, then I sold that and got a Blackmagic Micro, which is, mm. and then I kitted it up like a cinema camera, and it was absolutely, it was, it was heck on earth to, to, <laughs> to shoot with. But the colors were gorgeous, and I had, that's when I finally set up my old Super 16 zoom lens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, then one of my friends reached out to me and she's like, hey, I want you to shoot my wedding. And I was like, uh, I'm not because in my mind, you had to shoot weddings on prosumer like yeah. like DSLR stuff yeah. and with a glide cam. And I was like, I don't I don't like that look. That's not that's not. Well, mine. And then so I was like, I'll shoot it, but I'm shooting it exactly how I want to. And she's yeah. like, sounds good. And I just experimented on that and they paid me and they loved it. And because of that one, then other people came to me because I was shooting stuff that no one else was. Mm -hmm. so it depends on what you want to do but i feel like if you're if you want to just emulate someone like say you you, you do want to just like look like devin graham like get get the stuff you know get get mm -hmm. a canon dslr get a glide cam and you're good um if you want to carve out a niche in the market then you need to think of what looks good to you and what equipment do those people use and then go from there yeah well and funny that you mentioned devin graham because he kind of I feel like he defined that prosumer. Oh look. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, and now, I mean, we're all in Utah. So like now Utah is extremely saturated with wedding videographers and like everyone is like running around with their gimbal and well, it used to be the glide cam, but now it's the gimbal yeah. with their a seven S three or whatever. And I, I mean, I'm different. I shoot on like when I do weddings, I'm on my black magic pocket 4k and at 1835 Sigma. And uh, send a balloon filter on the front, variable ND on my RS2. Manual focus. Yeah. And like, honestly, that's been great. But I've actually been looking at this other wedding videographer that I really like. And he shoots handheld for the majority of the wedding. And then he'll he'll rarely toss in a, um, a glide cam shot. Like, See, that's, really. that's what I resonate with. That's what I do. I'm on a shoulder. I don't own mm -hmm. a glide cam. I probably should just in case. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know. Well, he, I mean, he runs on the C200, so oh, wow. he can't go on a glide cam, you know, yeah. unless he has I think a it makes cam. it more human to me. It yeah. makes it more intimate when you go, when you go handheld. I think yeah. it, anyways. I also well, feel like there's this sort of propinquity to go super wide, and I, I don't yeah. like that because yeah. if you're, okay, just if you are going to go weddings, in my opinion, what defines a, what, what what's going to carve you out of the masses is being able to get people's snap reactions when they don't know you're filming. And to mm -hmm. do that, you got to really be able to punch in. So my favorite lens for weddings is this old Canon TV zoom lens that's essentially a 50 to 300. Mm -hmm. And I'm always slammed all the way in so I can catch the mother's tears as she watches her, her daughter dance with her husband, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I feel like that's, yeah, you have to kind of figure out what you actually want to shoot and then pick your equipment from there. But in a sense, isn't shooting that kind of style your beginning transition towards being a filmmaker? Can be. Yeah. Doesn't have to be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I'd be really interesting, interested to shoot a wedding on, like, um, on a full handheld cinema rig 
you know do it i i, I really want to try it um but like the the hard part is that there's a niche customer area yeah. for that and so like you have to be really patient for the person that wants that and so you can't be doing it for a paycheck like so i'm trying to get rid of that like i think this year i kind of realized that weddings really wasn't for a paycheck like granted yes like it brought in stuff to buy more gear but it wasn't it's starting to become more of like uh you know i just want to do this to create a story you Mm -hmm. know like how can Mm -hmm. i tell the story of this couple just like you mentioned kent but um so I guess technical wise, we already mentioned like prosumer camera and gimbal. Um, and then uh, if you want to go the different route and kind of stand out, then maybe look towards the cinema rig. But, you know, what do you guys have anything else to mention about that? Get a variable ND filter. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. absolutely. You, you need <laughs> that. And if you're on a camera that struggles with IR pollution, you need an IR cut. Yeah, that's true. I need to get that for my 4K. You don't have an IR cut for your 4K? Well, honestly, I think that my ND filter has it. What what are you on a moment? What are you on? What's your ND? Dude. <laughs> is it Tiffin? No, it's a BW. BW is great, but I don't think they have IR cut built in. Really? I, I sure. haven't really noticed. Uh, I guess I do have to fix some black stuff in uh, post, like, yeah, with the suits and things. Yeah. definitely is not like the color science of a c70 or like yeah no I, I i shot in high school like my 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 big thing that i did was this music video for a competition and i didn't know that i needed an ir cut and i was using this end this variable nd and i had it cranked all the way down shooting into the sun oh shoot and it was just the shadows were just mud and i was like what is oh, going on man. i went on all these Jeez. forums and they're like yeah you got a bunch of ir pollution there bud and i was like i don't even know what that is ever since then i was like yeah no I'm a, you need Never again. Yeah, yeah, it's I funny. How there's always that one experience. Oh yeah, that teaches you <laughs> for all the other times. I should get forward. One. I really should. I have an extra one, but I don't think it's the right size. Is it like because you just put it on the end? It's like a UV filter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, I mean, that's Anyways. basically the videographer standpoint, and really, this episode is to talk about how to invest in yourself as a filmmaker. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. You know, what, how, what do you need to do to invest in yourself as a filmmaker speaking towards talking, like working on a set? Working on a set. Or being a director. What I I think is, I'm thinking more of, you know, what, to be a filmmaker, you have ideas that you want to share, that you want to make, right? And that's like, how do you tell the stories that you want to? What do you invest in in order to tell those stories? And, and honestly, I would still kind of say the same thing where I would just buy a prosumer camera and just start practicing a lot on if you want to be a cinematographer, if you want to be a DP, start practicing a lot of different shots and different movements. And then when you're ready to do that, um, that story, then it's time to rent the equipment that you really need and to make it look the way that you have envisioned it this whole time. Yeah. Well, and I think that's another thing to realize is like, if you really want to get on the filmmaker bandwagon, you know, just you need to decide what, maybe not like today, you know, but eventually you need to decide what direction you're going to go, whether that be, are you going to be an audio person, a grip, a gaffer, 
a a camera operator, a director, producer, what are you doing? You know, and and you need to define that before you like know what to invest in. Yeah. I feel like as a preamble to that, you got to catch the bug, you know? And I feel like in order to do that, you need to make something that you love. And it can turn out pretty crappy, but when you look at it, you're like, that is mine. And I did more or less what I wanted to do with that. So, I don't know. James Cameron has a famous quote that to be a director, you just need the camera. And now you're a director, everything else is just negotiations. (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. And I know I butchered (laughs) that quote, but um, something like that. So I feel like, yeah, to Sam, to your point, you just need a, a camera that you can change the lenses on. Yeah. And as when you have that, then in my opinion, the best thing you can do <clears throat> sorry, to invest in yourself would be to learn everything you can about that camera and about, um, wh- you know, whatever your nonlinear editor is, all of that stuff. For example, um, when I started learning and now, now I'm going to bring up Shane Carruth, He's, he's the man because in in 2003, he shot a movie called Primer and he shot it for $7,000, I want to say. Holy it crap. won a whole bunch of crap at Sundance. They shot it on Super 16 film and they shot, I want to say, 103 minutes of footage and the movie ended up being 98 minutes long. They used almost wow. every single... They planned the That's living amazing. crap out of that film yeah. and it makes almost no sense, but it is one of the most revered time travel movies ever made because the thought that went into it was there. Um, he, he was a theoretical mathematician. He, he like, he got a oh, degree wow. in math before, and then he was a computer scientist and stuff like that. So he put all of that to use to craft this story, um, and then planned it out like crazy. His second film in 2012 was when I was starting to get into filmmaking in high school. Um, it's called Upstream Color, and he didn't have any money to shoot it. So he got a Panasonic GH2, which now you can get for like, hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he hacked it. And put raw in it? No, or? this one wasn't raw, but he increased the bit rate. So, oh. so that it was co- comparable to something like a 5D Mark II, which was like the big camera at the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, so he hacked it with, uh, I think the, the hacker's name was Zero. Um, and that was a big famous hack. Um, and shot an entire feature film on it. And when you watch it, it is beautiful. Wow. They had no lights for it. So they shot during sunset, sunrise. They shot next to windows and it just looks gorgeous. Um, and... There's also Magical Lantern to hack Canon cameras, and then you can get raw out of cheap Canon. I mean, I had a a little EOS M, the original M, and you can get uh-huh. 1080p raw out of those now. So wow. if you you know if, if you don't have a lot of money, invest in time and learning how to do things, um, and you can make some absolutely gorgeous stuff if you know what you're doing. And I think one of the best ways to do that is, I don't know, I, I was a terrible filmmaker until I got my little first gen black magic pocket and then i realized i had no clue what any of the settings were and i almost threw it into the wall i was so mad i was like i know what i'm doing i'm a filmmaker everyone knows i'm a filmmaker but i had never i never shot manual before you know i never had you know and that forced me to shoot manual and that was that was the best thing that i could have done because then i was able to tell those stories yeah i I don't mean to hate on the byu ad lab but there are some (laughs) content creators maybe not there anymore but you know they didn't know what manual mode was oh yeah when they graduated well, the thing, that's, and that's, i didn't get in well here's the thing get that's that's not what an uncommon f- story yeah it's and, not and, and, and it's sad i've worked with cinematographers who have been cinematographers for 30 years brilliant cinematographers and we were shooting a shot with reflections in a window and i was like do we have a cpl 
like a, a circular polarizer so we can cut the reflections in the window. He's like, that's not what you use a circular polarizer for. And I was like, it is. <laughs> that's literally why it was made. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I, I don't want to, a great guy, love him to death, but that was the one thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pretty sure I had to like go on all these forums and ask everybody to see if I was wrong. And <laughs> so like, yeah, just investing in yourself, reading articles, knowing everything there is to know about your equipment. That's going to go a lot further than just getting new equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, but I would invest, investing in yourself, education. Um, there's a great magazine um, called American Society of Cinematographers, ACS, American Cinematographer Society, something like that. Look up ACS. It's ASC. That's American it. ASC. Society yeah. Cinematographers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I just got their magazine two days ago and I still butchered the title. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would recommend reading that and, you know, just YouTubing random crap about what you want to be doing. As much time as you invest in researching gear, you should probably put into researching concept and and yeah. and how to tell the story, you know? Like it's not just knowing how to use your gear, although that is extremely important because if you don't, then obviously you're not going to be able to yeah. work. It. But like we talked about this in the directing episode with Mallory, but we talked about how how much your gear your concept matters and like Exactly. Yeah, and before you start think you start thinking about what you're going to shoot it on or where it's going to be or all that kind of stuff, you need to figure out why are you telling this story? Who is this character? Um why is this why are you writing this? You know, there there's always a a purpose behind it and um that's that's something that you need to invest in as much time as you do towards the gear if not more. One thing um that we mentioned. Oh shoot. It totally just left my brain. Maybe it'll come back. Um, <laughs> but um, like a sound effect board because <laughs> I need that would be get one. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much are those? Um, oh shoot! You were mentioning direct. Oh, about concept. Um, ah, shoot! It's like on the tip of my tongue. Hmm. I mean, I this have something. I, I have something to sound yeah, like a little trigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like when you're, when you're talking about concept, especially as a beginning filmmaker, there's a balance to be struck between ambition and actual plausibility. And I feel like ambition-wise, I don't know. Quentin Tarantino is like, oh, if you want to know how to make movies and get concepts, just watch a lot of movies, which I think is a great idea. But you also have to know yourself because I've got friends like Kyle, for example, who he can make anything, pretty much anything. He just doesn't have ideas. Like he's, t he's told me that he's like, yeah. So if you need any help with anything, let me know. He, he's amazing at just getting stuff done. Yeah. Um, he is. but, uh, so I feel like knowing yourself and know if you, if you struggle to come up with ideas to do the research and the legwork there, if you have idea, you know, tons of ideas, then do more legwork into the actual production side of it. But, um, as far as when you're conceptualizing things, uh, especially as a beginning filmmaker with no money, no equipment, you need to create stories that you can shoot. And that you can make. In high school, I tried to make a short film yeah. where we were going to blow up a drone. And I realized I couldn't do that. And yeah, I was like, really oh, I'll learn VFX. And yeah. then I still couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, stuff stuff like that. Okay. I, I remember what it was. There you go. Um, investing in yourself. A great way to do that, too, is to find friends. Find people who want to go in the same direction you do. And 
support each other and move forward on that. I mean, like, heck, we just shot a short with you last we, night. We just did that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, the truth is you can't do everything by yourself. And if you really want to go somewhere, you need to have a team and people who you can rely on. So make friends and start going to places where you can meet people that can help you achieve your dreams and that you can help achieve theirs. Collaborate. That's that's the truth. Dude. That is the painful truth as someone Shoot. who didn't have friends in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I went to, because there's this guy I follow on Instagram because of a girl I knew from high school and he makes films. You know, he, he actually works for Chamber Media. What's and, his name? Uh, Jordan Boren. Nope, I don't know. So he starred in a movie. I, I think I mentioned this on set on Friday, but he started, he starred in a movie um, called... Uh, Casualty of War. That's what it was called. Um, there's already a feature film called Casualties of War, but this is Casualty of War. So it's like Suicide Squad versus The Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's important. <laughs> but so he, he started in this film and it was directed by um, Jacob Hamblin, who's a UVU f- film student. And it, it was actually, I mean, it was pretty dang good and like the only reason i went and saw it was because i was like you know this might be a good way to kind of network and meet people so i actually yeah. followed everybody that worked on it on instagram just because i was like hey these guys seem cool they put together a movie that you know it was 43 minutes like and it, that is not a simple feat for somebody that does not have budget or anything like literally yeah. all volunteer just like it, they they shot for I can't remember if he said two weeks or two months, and that's a really significant difference. <laughs> but like, same thing. It was one of those. Yeah. Um, but he, I think it was two weeks. But like, that's crazy for forty-three minutes, right? No, and like, I think he mentioned they were shooting between five and ten pages a day, and I was like, that's a that's amazing. Yeah, I was like, that's wild. And I mean, tons of hard work. I mean, they had they had a scene where fireworks were going off in the background. And they were VFX. So they just had um, like uh, aperture lights faking the lighting. And then he funded Jacob Hamblin, the director, funded the entire thing out of pocket. So like any wow. rentals, any any location, day props. Job? Like yeah, I, I know. Like, actually, he works for Chamber Media too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then the the editor was also the cinematographer on it and his editing was fantastic. I mean, he mentioned they had to replace a license plate on one of the oh, scenes. Oh, it was that yeah. one. It was okay. that one. And gotcha. yeah, so they like, he also, there was another thing he mentioned. He had to get rid of a mic that was on one of the, the talent's uh, necks. Oh. Like, so he had to get rid of a mic in a moving one shot scene. And I was like... <laughs> There was some stuff they mentioned. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, which, of course, if they had just paid attention to detail on set, they wouldn't have had to do that. Which is hard to do shooting five to 10 pages. Yeah, a day. five to 10 pages. And like, obviously, they're going to have mess ups and stuff. But like, uh, basically, what I'm saying is like, that's a good way to like make connections, like um, to go and see local movies. There's another one that's coming out um, by another person I knew from high school, Yvonne Bass. Um, and she is. She was the cinematographer on a movie that they uh, she was a part of directing and producing and all that kind of stuff. That's all shot in winter. That's all natural light. And I'm really excited to see that come out. And I really want to go see it. But oh. that's just local. Well, good for Yvonne. I haven't seen her in a long right? time. 
Yeah, no, her I, Becky Palakov is on that as well. Okay. Um, and then the the director. can't remember his name but love that guy good guy you know he's a gem um but like Sorry, all this- i forgot to laugh right <laughs> 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 but yeah so no yeah making connections and like working with people that share your passion like yeah well said sam yeah like honestly the best thing i ever did for that was working at alan's camera for real like everyone if if you're in like a not not, not necessarily like a hub you know, if you're in LA, I don't know, you know, go, go find something else to do, I guess. But like, <laughs> but like if you're in a place that doesn't have a ton of camera stores, if you work at the one camera store, you will meet everybody. Yep. yep. I got, I got way more gigs and money from freelancing from connections. I made at Alan's camera than I ever made at Alan's yep. camera. <laughs> yep. You know, well, what was it like eight seventy five at Alan's? <laughs> well, it, it panned out to be about ten eleven. Yeah. I got, oh, to, okay. I got to 10 nice just because i spoke spanish but that was it (laughs) but but they they actually were even like a little hesitant to even raise me to 10 really i was like what the crap like dude i've been working here two years i don't know if we're gonna get in trouble for like mentioning dollar amounts i mean it's it's been long enough since we've worked there yeah i'm like if rex texted me i I don't care (laughs) i saw him the other day at at byu yeah that was the thing that was great about working there is that they're, they're it's not a perfect place by any means I'm not going to mention anything specific, but the people that worked there were all great. I like, I have so many friends that I made there and I'm, you're, you're glaring at me. Oh no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just sitting here. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so many people would come in, um, at one point or another. And so many of them were like on a set and they're like, Oh, we forgot to get this filter. And then, and then you'd connect with them. Um, or they'd ask for something that is a lot more, high end that we definitely did not carry yeah but then you could still like chat it up with them yeah that's true exchange information be like hey i want to get on set as a pa yeah you know yeah there you go and you're on yeah yeah it was great i met so many people there yeah Mm. um yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know if you're out of stuff to say. I can just keep ranting about Shane. Well, no, I was going (laughs) to lol. Um, I was going to mention like with, with Alan's camera, we, that's interesting that you saw a lot of people that were like coming off sets and things like that, because most of mine were like, I guess James, the Mormon did come in once, but he's not, (laughs) no, well, he didn't even pay his producer. So actually like that was so true. They came in to, they were trying to find the cheapest budget option. I'm like, dude, isn't this guy like low-key famous like in Utah? Like, shouldn't you be making something? Like, you don't even pay your producer. You pull favors, man. That's the industry. Yeah, I was like, oh, crap. the Utah industry. There's there's two separate industries in Utah, I found. I, I found that by talking to... Do you guys know Jack Lott? Uh-uh, no. He's fantastic. He's a best boy grip. He works with... um. Oh, geez. Do you guys know Alex Merrill? Wait, what's, what's his Instagram handle? Alex Merrill sounds... Familiar. Is it nice boy trash? No, no. Okay, but they they work on like a lot of higher end spec ad stuff. Like uh, Jack um, pinged me to first AC for a Ducati commercial. Oh shoot! Yeah. Oh, that's right. Is that yeah. one? Yeah, and then it yeah. fell through because their their original first AC came back, and I was like, <laughs> no, like, I dang it. it! I wanted that was it. my in. Yeah. Um. But I I got lunch with Jack a while ago, and he was talking about how there's pretty much two industries in Utah. 
there's a high-end industry that works with people like Paul Myers and Jared Fidel, and they're shooting yeah. Maserati commercials. Yeah. And then there's other production companies that will remain nameless that that do a lot of work and do good work, but they don't necessarily do what I would describe as super high-end work. They do very good work, and I'd be proud of the work that they do, but they don't treat their employees very well. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and aside the fact... You know, we we rant about full time filmmaker a lot on this podcast, but or I rant about full time filmmaker. It's a lot good to on know I podcast. have permission. Oh yeah, no, like go ahead, you're fine. <laughs> They're, we're gonna get some hate mail. <laughs> if Parker Waldeck like, messages me, well, or why Jake, does this podcast have five thousand views and why do they keep ranting on it? <laughs> we're gonna take him down with our, you know, how many listeners? With, with this podcast, <laughs> it, uh, he. Um, but aside the fact that we rant about them a lot um, about being kind of pretty boys and pathetic them. but like they they um they do treat like i've heard that parker welbeck pays really well yeah so well and, and that's that's that that balance you know there's there's when you're when you're talking about filmmaking this is one of the reasons why i i i mean for the listeners i, I don't know that I, I have two career paths one of them that's in filmmaking and one of them that's not yeah. And I'm doing that very intentionally because I kind of want to divorce my money from my filmmaking. And if you are going to be a full-time filmmaker, not TM, that's you got to find a way to make money doing that, you know? And that's, that's very, very difficult to do. And and for all of their flaws, and I, I have very strong opinions on full-time filmmaker, but they are good at making money. Yeah. That's you know? why they have 100 million followers on YouTube and a course that is overpriced yeah and the ways that they're making their money might not be entirely things that i support but but they're good at making money you know and 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 they're good at handling that and that is a different skill set from being a filmmaker entirely uh and if you're going to be completely freelance you got to have both yeah i did come across a recent video that they came out with which was like five ways to make money as a filmmaker or videographer and um I, I got like super discouraged from it after okay. I was like, like I kind of like went into like a, like a five minute depression um, aside from my 24 hour depression. But like, I kind of was just like fetch, like I, I need to work my butt off. Like, cause he was mentioning these people is like, he's making six figures doing music videos or he's making 70,000 a year doing, doing corporate work or blah, 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 like all this stuff. And I, I was like, um, well, first of all, none of them were, Oh, this dude's making a hundred K making a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. That, that's that's yeah. the lower tier Utah filmmaker. Um, yeah. Echelon. Yeah. Um, and then the higher tier one, you have people like Jeff Yates and, um, Paul Myers, Jared Fidel, that, that, that gang yeah. of people. Cole Webley. Yeah, and they yep. they made their own spec ads. They pitched it to a high end spec ad company, and now Jared Yates, uh, sorry Jared Fidel, I'm pretty sure he's ASC. Yeah, so he's making a minimum of 100k a year, whatever he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was gonna. So I actually had a conversation backing going back to investing in yourself as a filmmaker. Um, I had the, a call. The whole with, topic of this. Yeah, going back to the topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks for reining us in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a conversation with Cole Webley because I was wanting to do an internship with him. And he told me that if I really want to be a DP, that I have to find a director that's going to go somewhere. And that the best thing Is you can... Is that why you hang out with me? 
because I, I low key want to switch to being a gaffer. Like, to be well, honest. that's why we're hanging out less, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. All direct, but I only want to be a PA. Okay. That- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a second AC if I'm feeling really, really feeling it. <laughs> but, um, Parker. <laughs> Got really good hands for camera. Uh, 9A. Wait, roll A, scene well, here's the 9A. Thing. I okay. have a very unique okay. skill set. I have a very unique skill set as a second AC in that I actually know the military alphabet. Yeah, <laughs> I need to refresh my nine um Apple box. Uh take one. <laughs> ten ten Gleason, take five. <laughs> um <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, go uh, back no, back to what you're talking you're about. Good. Yeah. Um but what Cole was saying is that the reason, like one of the reasons like why Paul Meyer and a few of these other cinematographers are doing so well is because they've latched themselves on to directors who are going to go somewhere too. Yeah. Um, and so the best thing you can do is first know how to make great work, make great work, and then find people who want to elevate and, you know, want to make elevated work as, as well as you do. And, that's how you are able to pitch this to someone and get a hundred K a year. Yeah. yeah. I feel like to that point, the um, now is when I'm going to start ranting on a full-time filmmaker. Oh, please do. They are the sales bros. Yeah. No, you no. know, they're, they're, they've got, they've got the snapbacks. <laughs> I hate snapbacks. I'm sorry. I do. And flat brim. Yeah, exactly. We, we went to high school with Josh sales. Love, yeah, you did. love Josh. Dude, I love Josh. Death. He's great. Yeah. No, I went to his, his brother has a YouTube channel. That's it's, it's actually pretty good. It's pretty informative. I like it. No, I love Josh. Josh is one of the nicest people. And I feel like that's something that I need to learn to divorce myself from as well is understanding that it is okay for people to make money doing what I love yeah. in ways that I don't agree with. Well, he makes music videos full time yeah. making a hundred K a year. Yeah. Uh, I was like, dude, like he's but the two thing years is, younger he than makes me. a lot of music videos. Yeah, he's like, extremely he, busy. Exactly. And that's that's the hustle mentality. That's yeah. the that's the hustle, get the check, get get things mm-hmm. going. And to your point, um, talking about Paul Myers, Paul Myers is amazing. He's phenomenal. Amazing. I need to I Google have, this guy. <laughs> I know he's he's phenomenal. I have a dream of I'm writing a screenplay, I have a dream of him lensing it. <laughs> you know, but this is this is in a couple this is in a couple of decades. Paul but, Myers, I hope you're listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, anyways, yeah. So he's he is phenomenal. Well, I, I'd honestly probably just get Brennan. Um, I love Brennan. Brennan. Oh, Brent Bateman. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. No, Brennan. Thirty five. Brennan's our guy. Yeah. Um, but oh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. To to your point, um, you need if you want to make it in the high end industry. Um, sort of the upper echelon industry, you do need to work with people who want to make great films, not people who want to make a lot of money necessarily. You can't be hustling with the sales bros. Yep. You know, and and, yep. and it's great for you to to ha- be around those people and to see the way that they they manage things, but you don't want to be part of the hustle. You want to be part no. of the art. And yeah. they're very different I'm industries. Quit my very job well be said. A banker. Very well said. Then- <laughs> You're gonna be a banker. Well, no, I'm like banker. Right now, I work as a, a full time videographer know. for a mortgage company. Oh yeah. And honestly, like I've actually been thinking about. I really hope my boss isn't listening. Um, <laughs> but if he is, mm-hmm. just know that like I love my job. Um, I love it to death. It's That's fantastic. never prefaced well. But yeah. I know I love my job. But <laughs> no, like I I was thinking the other day because I mean my job is very. Um, niche in the fact that I go and I shoot walkthroughs of homes or I do 
like interview work or or videos for uh, loan officers and things like that, whatever they need, you know, that that's kind of I have to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And in the end, like it's a great job and I love working there. Um, but I don't think it's something that I want to be doing for 10 years, yeah. you know, and and eventually I think I want to find a place where it's doing more um, more narrative style work, even if it is commercial. Like if I do commercial narrative work and um, things like that. And I uh, just to kind of shout out Kyle for a second, I still need to get that nerd on the podcast. Um, but Next to shout week. out Kyle for a second, I know he he, he works for Truvy, uh, Truvy Boost. And and I know that he. he oh, you got to watch your words here. I'm trying not to get him yeah, in I trouble. Floundering. <laughs> Let's just say. Well, he's not in love with the company, but no, he's not in love with the company, but he has found opportunities to make very high budget commercials. Yes. And whether or not they're narrative, he's gotten into that high budget because of this company. Yeah. And I feel like you can, I don't know. There's, there's a balance. You don't want to get locked in to, to something that you don't enjoy doing. That is going to lock you into, to corporate work, you Mm -hmm. know, or something dull. But if, if you can learn on someone else's dime, if you can experiment on someone, on someone else's, else's dime, dime. yeah, Why that's, not? that's great. I, I mean, in Kyle's situation, gigs, I screwed up royally and yeah. I still got paid because they didn't care. Yeah. And I learned not to make those mistakes again, but yeah. I didn't mess up any of my personal projects. They didn't care. You know, care. the stuff it's that like, I wasn't getting paid for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> but well, and isn't that the, because making, making a movie that's going to be in theaters, like, can't you classify that as a personal project? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can. Unless I guess I haven't Disney's, made anything in theaters. <laughs> I I haven't either. But like, can I mean, you say I, no? <laughs> can you what? say that like um uh, I don't know? I'm just gonna spit a director, Taika Waititi, like him. You know, isn't all of his movies basically just a personal project that he makes millions from because they're ah, amazing? I feel like that that that's difficult. It depends on where Maybe you get screenplay. And of the Wilder people. Uh, I don't know about so Rat Rat. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, mm. but it depends. It depends on the production company. You know, you have stuff like Suicide Squad, where David Ayer wrote it, directed it, and then after the fact, the production company changed the tone of it entirely. Yep. David Ayer only does action movies, like gritty, solid action movies, and they turned it into a half-baked comedy, and that's why it failed. You know, you have the Fantastic, you know, with um. Oh shoot, he's the director of Chronicle. Now I don't remember his name. Trank. Josh Trank. Dude, they made a Chronicles movie? What? No, Chronicle. Oh, okay. Have you seen Chronicle? No. Oh, it's really good. But Josh Trank directed Chronicle when he was in his early 20s. And he directed the Fantastic movie. I call it Fantastic because I'm an idiot. But yeah, the Fantastic Four, the the newer one. And he was in his his mid to late 20s. But the problem is that the production company then just pushed him around and bullied him and screwed up his movie. He, he has a letterboxed account and he wrote his own review for it. He gave it like two stars. And he was like, it's so funny. To <laughs> I read directed this in two yeah, stars. He was like, I was hoping this wouldn't be here. He's the top review on the movie. And the guy's just, <laughs> he's just a super cool guy. Yeah. But um, I mean, even Christopher Nolan has to negotiate with the, the production companies. So That's they're true. not all just entirely personal projects. It depends on the amount of money, which is why it's nice if you can have enough money that you can make what you want without having your personal finances be in the tank yeah. if, if you don't make it. Well, and it's hard because those big production companies are what back you to get that money. Yeah. And I I mean, I bet every director on every set has something to say about the production company that they're working with. And 
<laughs> like, um, actually, you know, what was really interesting. Um, why is that? John Krasinski, when he first came out with a quiet place, like he got the script and it was written by Warner brothers. Um, and they, they gave it to him and were like, Hey, like we kind of want you to direct this. And he was like, oh, that's where he wrote it. Well, he rewrote it. Oh, so the okay. original gotcha. script. So he got an original draft, like a con, like I didn't know that. an idea. Yeah. Um, from from Warner Brothers, and he was like, "Hey, like, how much can I do with this?" And they were like, "Whatever you want, like, okay." And he was like, "The final script is almost completely different from the original." So I guess yes, he wrote it. Mm, but gotcha. um, but what was really interesting about that is because like he wrote, directed, and starred in it, and was in every single process of it, and it came out becoming, I mean, of the time was a great movie. You know, even though it was only what five, four years ago, three years ago. Yeah. But like, um, in that sense, I feel like he wasn't bullied by the production company. I mean, like, if John Krasinski is listening, you can tell me wrong, <laughs> right? But like, I would guess in that situation, he wasn't being bullied by them because they gave him free reign yeah. to do whatever. I feel like it depends on the project, um, especially IPs that are very well known, like Fantastic Four. Any superhero movie. It oh is yeah, it's owned so by the production company to get a blank check on. Yep. Yep. You know, so uh, because they they have to then market it for toys and crap, you know, so there's so many moving parts to it, which is why, you know, Edgar Wright got fired from Ant-Man and it got finished by someone else, you know, because Edgar Wright's Still a genius. Still turned out great. It's, I mean, it, it turned out okay. It's good. Yeah. It's good. But it was Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. Like the dude did Baby Driver. You know, he doesn't make normal movies. Yeah. The, yeah. let alone action Marvel films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so there's yeah, it depends on the company and depends on what what the IP is. Mm-hmm. Well, and with the last Star Wars movies that just came out. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. The first one was okay. Like no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, like No, Ben. I know everyone everyone <laughs> praised Daisy Daisy Ridley for like a year after she did, honestly. Her no, acting is subpar. No, she's a Mary Sue. Yeah. It's Anyways, well, and she writing. she can't get a job in any other films because everyone knows her as Ray. See, and that is so sad. Yeah, isn't that, that is, terrible? That is so her career sad. Has basically, because she's a great actress, of, yeah. right? But it was just terrible writing. Yeah, it was very badly planned. I don't. Well, really and they switched directors. <laughs> I mean, because the the first director came in. Was it JJ? It was JJ? Yeah. So JJ came in on the first one and had an idea. Well, and he then, just rewrote episode four. Yeah, you know, basically, Hope, yeah, which is. Okay, I guess <laughs> it's not but, okay. I have I have I have opinions. But I mean, then the production company said, "Okay, actually, this per- this other person's going to direct the second one." Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and then and then JJ came back for the the last one. Well, it wasn't going to be JJ. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember the name of the, the director that they were going to be have, a third director. But he was not a very experienced director, and he had an idea for it. And then with all of the backlash they got about the Last Jedi, oh, it, it was terrible. Which was, was too bad because I actually felt like that was way better than. Really? I I agree, but um, it made for a really good TikTok reel. You know, <laughs> more, more. <laughs> yeah, no, the last Jedi. I I feel like I could just rant about that for like fifteen minutes, but I'd be just, I'd just annoy people. I like what Ryan Ryan Johnson. He was trying to take things in a different direction, and I really liked that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there were too many logical fallacies that just made it unwatchable in so yeah. many ways. Why did the purple hair lady not just communicate with Poe Dameron? 
instead you know just just dumb stuff like that and then how how did um oh rose like uh, po- rose like uh, what's his face uh, is, uh, is like going he's leading the charge he's he's faster than her he's gonna run into things somehow defying all laws of physics she manages to pull a giant u-turn and smash sideways into him <laughs> and, and like and that was a good idea and that was a good idea yeah it was a great idea and she's like this is how we win we rose love. is the most annoying character of which any is such series. a shame because yeah. these poor actors yeah these poor actors oh it's not her fault i, no, I would it's never not. blame her Kelly marie tran actor. is a great actress yeah. it's just that she was given absolute garbage to work with. And that's unfortunate, but I do like what Ryan was doing with the overall arc and trying to change the status quo. Mm-hmm. But Star Wars fans are the absolute worst fans in the universe. And yeah. very toxic. And then after that, they're like, no, we're just going to now, instead of remaking a new hope, let's remake uh, a six, the sixth one. Phantom Menace. Okay. <laughs> so just, like, instead of Ewoks, like, we'll use horses. Ep- episodes, yeah. episode seven is like down here. Right? like the, the whole and then sequel trilogy. Phantom Menace just, is above episode seven. Oh, have you seen the Clone and Wars? And eight and nine. Oh, Clone Wars was awesome. Oh the final four episodes of the Clone Wars is the best Star Wars ever <laughs> has been and ever will be. I just need to put that on the podcast. Actually, uh, random question, but how do you guys feel about Rogue One and Solo? Rogue One is phenomenal. Agreed. Solo, they made a big mistake in firing Lord and Miller. True. True. Big mistake. Mm. But yeah. it would have been a lot better. The problem, the problem with Solo is that they answered questions no one was asking. <laughs> <laughs> like, how did he get his name? <laughs> You're alone. <laughs> you Solo. Solo. Yeah, he flew Solo. <laughs> Here's where the dice came from. <laughs> 13 parsecs. <laughs> Rogue, Rogue One was really good. Rogue One was phenomenal. And I mean, you had uh, Felicity he, Jones in there. Yeah. Oh, she's, and she's my celebrity crush. Uh, okay. Mallory. Mallory. <laughs> no, she knows. See, she knows. My celebrity crush used to be Elliot Page. Ooh. Well, Elliot I, Page I agree with that. was Ellen Page. And that's so there's no real way to talk about that anymore. Hmm. You know? Hmm. I, I know she's gay, but mine's Ellen DeGeneres. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Elliot Page. I was like, well, <laughs> I, I mean, mean. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> we're getting a little controversial on the podcast. Um, no, but oh shoot, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, Rogue One. Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards is another phenomenal success story in being a um, do-it-yourself filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He made a movie called Monsters in two thousand and eight. And he did all the VFX and After Effects himself. He was a VFX artist initially working for... Being a VFX artist is the worst job in the world. For big studios, you get paid horribly. You, they don't have a union. And the companies Ooh. go under. The, the, the Rhythm and Hughes, they did Life of Pi. They won an Oscar and two weeks later, they went bankrupt. It's, it was messed up. Um, there's, there's, the VFX industry is the worst. Uh, anyways, um, but Gareth Edwards was a VFX artist and then he figured out he could do most of the stuff himself and just pull clients for himself so he did that made money and then decided to make his own feature film went down to mexico with a couple of friends um including scoot mcnary who's a fantastic um actor and he got a decent camera and shot it all with these two people that were actors no one else in the movie is an actor they just found them and it's phenomenal it's a it's a monster movie it's an alien invasion monster movie and he did all hundred and something odd VFX shots himself on his home computer in oh After Effects, and it's amazing. gorgeous. It's a phenomenal film, like just hand, just by itself. It's like a three and a half star film, but knowing and that that's generous for me. But but knowing the way that he made it all, it to me it's like a four star film easily. And then as soon as he made Monsters, I think it was distributed by Magnet. And then um, once that got out, then um, Warner Brothers, no 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 no, Legendary approached uh-huh. him and said, "You work for us now." 
and then and then he made not on salary though. And, yeah, and, and then he Never made the new again. and then he made the new Godzilla movie, and then he made Rogue oh, One. Oh shoot! Oh wow! Wow! That's actually freaking rad. Gareth Edwards is one of my heroes. The effects artist made Rogue, Rogue One. Yeah, that's sick. and th- that one. The studio bullied him around a bit, unfortunately, but it turned out in the end. It still turned out. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you stand your ground, like uh, that's kind of hard because like somebody like that big of a studio like Disney is gonna. Oh, Kathleen! They Kennedy will can... they will fire you like that, you know. Yeah. If if you don't do what they want, they're like, "All right, we'll just find the next guy that does it." We don't yeah. care. Which uh, is like, okay, but Disney's the thing is, like historically, they they screw up so many movies that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Solo with Lord and Miller, and then Ron Howard. Ron Howard's a great director, but oh, yeah. he came in halfway through a project. Yep. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Whenever yeah. you come in halfway through a project, it never turns out. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, usually, on top of that, I mean, the the never. production the studio was probably like, "Hey, we need this at this time. You have this much time to write." Yeah. script you know because fans are waiting money is waiting yep. you know and they mickey they is waiting throw money at it to solve all the problems but yeah. that's just not the case <laughs> no it's not not at all i say at 25 years old sitting in this chair with um making almost no money <laughs> <laughs> it's well it's it's hard to have this podcast truth. <laughs> because in all honesty like none of us have made it yet yeah but uh, playing devil's advocate to to to, to support all of us I feel like these are the conversations and the thoughts you need to have in order to really make it, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's the habit of thinking things through critically yeah. that gets you. So you can't, I mean, that's how Quentin Tarantino started. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. You know, um, well, I, I mean, I hope one day we're all, <laughs> we're all reminiscing on this podcast. Hey, remember when we do the podcast? We're going to keep the podcast going and I'll ago? just come on at some point and, yeah. and you guys are going to have your like gold gilded headphones <laughs> and you're going to be like, how's, how's uh, corporate? You, you dummy. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, it's, uh, it's all right. Your guest know. ones will be iced out. How are the Oscars? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't be able to hear a word you're saying. Yeah. We're just, we're just saying things. You're just going to, you're going to flip me in occasionally just to laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have some PA spill coffee on me. <laughs> well, it's always, I think it always comes down to like when you make it, like every, every, re- all the research I've done listening to interviews from filmmakers and things like that, like it's really just one, one thing that leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And like with Roger Deakins, he started out um, being a uh, photographer and he was taking still film. You, you were talking about this. Yeah, yeah. going to get his Byways book. Right. I'm oh, getting it for Christmas. Dude, I want to get it so bad. Um, I actually researched that after you mentioned it. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is lit. Yeah, um, that's rad. But yeah, he started as a, as a photographer and then slowly went to film school after a while because he loved motion. Like, And in film school, he made documentaries and ended up meeting a bunch of people to work on um, he ended up working on a feature out, out of uh, film school, which his story is kind of rad because, yeah, he, so he cool. made it really quick, like in the sense like now he's still making films well into his his 70s. But like um, as a cinematographer, a DP. Um, but I mean, he even when he was late 20s, early 30s, he he was making films on set and I was like, that's, that's freaking sick. And like he started out in the documentary world. Now he's a director of photography for narrative making 1917. Well, I feel like there used to be a better path for that, at least as far as what I've heard with film school, because it used to be more locked down. You had to have the film cameras, you had to have all this stuff. So you had to then 
go to places that had that and those were schools, you know, yep. but now it's, it's kind of the wild west of filmmaking, yep. you know, I mean, um, you can make a 43 minute film with a black magic pocket 4k and then Sigma 1835. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or even an iPhone as much yeah. as, as much as I will tell you not to do that. People, I mean, what was it? Clementine? Is that what it's called? The, the, oh, is that what it's called? No. Um, well, there is one that There's, was shot on an iPhone 7 Plus. Yeah. And that was called... Um, it's going to kill me. I can oh see the cover gosh, in my head, yeah. but it won a whole bunch of... It's a horror film. No, oh, you're thinking of the Unsane. Wheelchair? You're thinking of I'm Unsane. I'm thinking of Unsane. Yeah. yeah. No, that's... Oh, shoot. Who's the, the director of that? It's um Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh. Yes. Yeah, he's nuts too, but super, super cool filmmaker. Um, no, I'm thinking of uh, of another movie. And... I can't remember the name of it. Well, junk. <laughs> Anyways, it's a famous movie. They shot it on an iPhone, but what they won't tell you is they had a $40,000 sound kit. So, oh, you know, well, priorities. shoot. Well, and a sound design and a whole crew behind them and VFX. Yeah. And so, so. Like, but, but yes, you can is, shoot with an iPhone, it, but it's, it, it is the wild west of filmmaking. Yeah. You know, going back to my boy, Shane Carruth, you can get a GH2 for, you know, a hundred bucks, hack it. And make the next upstream color. You're not crazy enough to do that because he has mental problems and that's why he's good at what he does. If he ever hears this, I need to take that back. He's my hero, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, yeah. I guess in the end, instead of investing in like spending so much time investing in your gear as a filmmaker, maybe look the other way and invest in your ability to tell stories. And gear. And gear. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I would say um, buy an iPhone and a forty thousand dollars sound kit. <laughs> Heck no, um, no. I get a camera with interchangeable lenses and then invest in learning your gear. I don't yeah. think you necessarily need to invest in your. Right. You don't need to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. No, you don't. But you do need something to work with. So yeah. get something, and then instead of thinking. Instead of thinking of investment as a financial thing, think of it as a time and effort thing. So invest in learning your equipment so you can do, you can push it to its very limit. If that's Until that limit isn't enough for yeah. your and yeah. then And then you know when you need to invest in new gear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, right now I'm trying to decide what mic to buy for like set. It is ships. <laughs> Dude, if I had $2,300, I would. Um but I think I'm going to go with the 416, honestly. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. You Until get, I you get an it. S mic. I could get an S mic. I thought about that. But I was between the 416 and the MKE 600, which is a $700 difference. But yeah, pocket change. Right. Well, anyway. This just is- shoot a wedding. We were talking about that. You can just shoot a wedding. <laughs> oh, gosh. I blew all that on other things. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that it was kind of coherent and that (laughs) you understood. (laughs) I know we went on a lot of tangents about movies. I feel like that's kind of good, though, because if you're talking about investing in yourself as a filmmaker, like understanding what kind of a filmmaker you want to be, all these people that we've talked about are people that we want to be like. Yeah. Other than Parker Welbeck. Well, (laughs) and and Devin Graham. I I, I don't need a Glycam named after me. But yeah, you don't need need your signature. I've heard Devin's a jerk, actually. Yeah. Oh. I've heard he sucks. Wow. Ouch. But like, like as a person, (laughs) not a a filmmaker. I just heard he sucks as a person. I I had not heard that, but okay. Um, (laughs) 
I no, don't know. I Devin, if you're problems, listening, so. like, prove me wrong, bud. Come on the podcast. Like, yeah, come the on the podcast. <laughs> this is a challenge. <laughs> He's living in his mansion in Hawaii. I, I'd love to to dive into Parker Welbeck's mind about why he decided to use one of my videos one time for his ad campaign. Like, because he was showing, like, no, this legit happened. We're getting some heat. I'm not even <laughs> kidding. But there was one time that I was freaking, I was on YouTube like you are, you know, and you get his ads for full-time filmmaker like you do. And one of them freaking had one of my wedding videos in it. I was like, what the f- what? Like, he, he was using it because he was, like, critiquing, like, what was wrong with it, I guess. And he used <laughs> it in his commercial and I was like, what the freak? Like, obviously, there was something wrong with that. That was my second wedding I'd ever done. Like, and he was like, pointing out the, oh, there's this and blah, whatever, like, drew lines. And I was like, I literally messaged him. I was like, bro, like, what the crap? I'd love to see <laughs> him critique one of mine because they're chaotic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but he messaged back and was just like, oh, dude, yeah, thanks, bro. And I was like, what? Like, you are worth multiple millions of dollars. And, and this was before he'd, like, really blown up. Oh, gotcha. This was back in, like, 2017. Okay. So, so he was worth maybe $2 million. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, somewhere around there. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to have an interview with him and have uh-huh. him on the podcast. Yeah, after you Pick his brain. Ripping into him. After I've been shredding his business. Yeah. <laughs> Your position of power. But... <laughs> Yeah, don't don't punch down, Ben. Um, I, I hope he's one of our thirty <laughs> listeners. Uh, <laughs> anyways, like, like I was saying, just in summary, I feel like if you're talking about you know what to invest in, invest in obviously like equipment and time stuff like that, but also get to know what filmmakers you like, which ones obviously you don't like, and learn what they did. Study them. Study them. Yeah, yeah. like it's not creepy. If you like, yeah, it's not it's creepy. On, it, it's if on you the like, internet. if you like Rogue One, look up who the director is and look up how he got there. Yeah, you know, if you, you like 1917, constantly. Yeah, I'm always yeah. on IMDb. Yeah, look up Sam Mendes, find out how he got where he got. Christopher Nolan's first movie, first film is following. Have you guys seen it? I need to watch it. It's, it's on my list. Actually, really it's good. On my list. It's not perfect. It's it's uh, yeah, it's not perfect. <laughs> But it's really, really good. And you can see how he got where he got. And he shot it on weekends with his friends with no budget. Which is rad. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Especially when like like us, I mean, we just shot the first half of a short film on a weekend with no budget. Yeah. You know? And like, again, the short film's only like five minutes. And then you can see what works and what doesn't. Because like, again, Christopher Nolan's following, they shot it in mostly natural light because that's all they could afford. And then they could rip through the script a lot faster that's and true, they had yeah. a limit. They had a very limited cast. They had very limited locations, but they found a way to tell an interesting, compelling story, and that's how they won awards at Sundance. Which is rad. So, and and, and I feel like that's that that's one of the best ways to break into the industry that we see from at least some of my favorite filmmakers. So, learn learn the stories of your favorite filmmakers. Just get out there and do that's it. Good, that's that is an investment in my mind. Yeah, is learning how other people have done it. Yeah. Yep. Well, and dude, I was actually really nervous to ask you to come on the set because like, well, until, <laughs> until before, because I've always thought about like messaging you and Brandon and Kyle and Brett and all those guys to come uh-huh. in on set, like people I've worked with on paid gigs. Yeah. Right. And, um, I was really nervous to like, before actually being on that set and like asking questions and stuff to ask people to come and help on those projects because I was like I know I can't pay them like yeah. right now right but like again one thing Kyle told me is he's like if your script is good they will come yes like and and that was something I was like huh 
That's really interesting. Like they don't like most people are are willing to do that because it's experience, it's it's collaboration, it's fun. Like if it's a fun set, it's a good script, they will come. Yeah. You don't need to pay them a thousand dollars a day to come I mean, and shoot would this be movie. Nice, it would be really nice. And if I get to that point, I would. Yeah. You know? Well, I feel like to that point, it's also about the habit and the precedent that you said, because I have people that only reach out to me to do pro bono work and I always say no because I'm done with that. Like, yeah. like but if there's people that I've worked with before and that I know and that I like and I like the script and I've mm-hmm. got the time, yeah, I will absolutely be there. Yeah. Um so you just you got to build a rapport with people and then not be yeah. afraid to ask, but also be upfront because some, some people who I not won't paid. Yeah. Some people who I won't name are like, yo, I've got this great opportunity for you, man. We're going to make it this time. And I was like, okay, Josh sales. Was it? Uh, no, no, Josh sales. Why am I throwing him under the yeah, bus? What did you do with that? Guys, I'm so on full-time filmmaker right Dude, now. You gotta I, need, relax, I need to calm man. down. No, I'm not going to mention names, but like, yeah, they're always pulling favors. Tell me later. I'll tell you later. Okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I won't, I don't, I don't work with them, you know? Yeah. Always pulling favors. Yeah. And, and some people, when they reach out to me, I, I just think that it's a bad, their, their script is a bad. <laughs> well, I was, there was, I was, I did like two music videos for this guy for free. And honestly, they, they turned out, <laughs> they turned out okay. Like I liked the second one better than the first one we did. Cause the second one I felt like kind of had more of a timeline, but it still was trash. Yeah. Um, but like. Uh, there was another guy that reached out for a music video and like his his music wasn't like the lyrics and stuff weren't bad, but his his voice was subpar. And I was kind of just like, mm, okay, I don't really want to do So I said no. And like, um, or I mean, if he would have paid me two grand, I would have done it. Yeah, the answer is never no. It's very expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very expensive. So anyway, guys, just remember to network and to just get out there and do it. You know, go out there and make your craft and learn your craft. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Thanks Just. once again for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kent. Thanks, Thanks Kent. Hopefully you, hopefully you can come on again. We'd love to have you again. So would you? Yeah. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, if you want to suggest uh, topics to bring on the podcast, like I said, this episode was from a fan suggesting a topic so if you have an idea that you'd love to hear us talk about you can reach out to us on instagram or the website that will be linked down in the show notes below um and have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you guys next week have a wonderful day love you bye bye